Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby, and we're two card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. Um, hello, how are you? Hey, I'm alright. You sound weird. I know, do you know why? Because you're now having your third mare of the last two days. <laughs> they come in threes, don't they? Um, yeah, my microphone lead is just broken. So now we're, I'm without a microphone, which is not how you want to do a podcast. No, it's not how I want to do a podcast, but it's okay. We're going to soldier through. It is okay. People yeah. will forgive us. Do you want to tell us about your other two mares? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> yesterday, um, which was, what, the hottest day of the year, I think, um, my, I was driving back from Brighton to Ramsgate and my bloody car broke down. <sighs> and I had to sit on the side of the A249 for an hour and a half waiting oh, for the day to come and get me. And it was just a bit of a mare and oh, my car's so old and crappy. This does give me an excuse to try and get a new car, which I've been like trying to do anyway. But um, yeah, but still, I didn't really need that to happen. No, no, I can understand that. And mare number two? Mare number two is, is, is to do with plumbing. We just had our local plumber, who's, a, who's our neighbour, who's really lovely, yeah. um, come over to make some pipes that are in our spare room slash my office look a bit neater because they're all fucked up and in the process of doing that we've now got no hot water because I don't know what's happened the boiler doesn't seem to be working now which is like when you pick a scab and then all of a sudden you cause a lot of trouble and you're like oh why did I pick that (laughs) it was fine I could have dealt with the ugly pipes it all gets infected I can deal with ugly pipes. Why do yeah. you just the ugly pipes? Mm, I, yeah. It's, you, you don't know until you tried it, though. It's true. But you don't know. No, um, water. On the whole, did you have a nice weekend? <laughs> on the whole, I did. Yes. Great. Yes. You? Uh, yes, I went to two gatherings, social gatherings. Oh, my God. Yeah. I went to um, one... In London, London, that London, the big city, um, to see some friends that I haven't seen for ages, so that was really nice. 
and I went to one on the beach in Margate that you were supposed to be at but couldn't because of your car and met some people who looked around our house when we were selling it. Yeah, Yeah, our friend was telling me that. Yeah, that was funny. That's mad. I've looked in your house. Yeah, it was really funny. I felt like our um our position in the social dynamics slightly changed after that. I felt like there there was more respect for us. Do you reckon? Yeah, like they liked our house, so they liked us. They didn't like enough to buy it though, did they? No, they didn't. But it's okay. Some other people bought it and we're all happy. Yeah. All's well that ends well. Yeah. Um well, uh you've had no mares, I've had many mares. Yeah. Should we try and get through the rest of this without any more mares? Okay, let's aim for no more mares. Hashtag no more mares. Hashtag no more mares. Um, <laughs> should we talk about the show? Let's. Yeah. Let, what's happening yeah. today? Okay, so today we have got Liz, first of all. She is talking about PTSD. And in order to make it as soothing as possible, she is in some kind of place, I would like to say a beautiful meadow. She's got birds tweeting. She's got the sound of a gentle breeze. She really knows how to do a, like a, what's it called? It's mise-en-scene when it's like on stage, yeah. right? What's it yeah. when it's oral? I don't um, know, but I do think it sounds great. Yeah, she's very clever. Um, so that's cool. And then we are talking to the amazing Elle Wright. Yes, who you might know as Feathering the Empty Nest. Yeah. She's the author of two very brilliant and absolutely heart-wrenching books. Um, the first one is Ask Me His Name, and that is about the death of her very, very young son. And the second book is A Bump in the Road, and that is more of a kind of infertility um, story, which is, yeah, you know, lightning doesn't strike twice, but seems to in Elle's case, which is um, obviously very sad, but she's... Yeah. Yeah, she was. Um, do you know what I've done in the edit? Is I've just left her talking about how great this podcast is. Just <laughs> so it's maybe like the first two minutes. It's just so if you don't want to hear somebody, well, if you don't want to hear like us just basking in her praise, maybe skip the first two minutes of the interview, or just put some sunglasses on because it might be very bright. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, she, look, she is, I mean, she deals with some very heavy subjects and she yeah. does it so delicately and lightly. And she, do, you, know, yeah. she you know, she tries to put humour in as much as, I mean, she's kind of, it's it's not as hard to listen to as you would think is what I'm no. Yeah, because I, I, I went embraced for a very difficult interview, actually. Mm. But we were chilled, weren't we? Yeah, it was a nice, yeah. it was a nice conversation. She's it was really a nice lovely. conversation. Yeah. Hopefully you guys enjoy that. Um, yeah, just a quick note on the sound quality. Um, obviously, it is still lockdown, technically, maybe for the next four weeks. Um, lockdown recording is really hard because people are in their own homes. I We have no control over the sound. Um, so there are quite a few pops and crackles on this. And I've tried to get rid of as many as possible. But there's still a few remaining. So sorry about that. And yeah, maybe just keep the volume down or something. Yeah, I'm sure you'll forgive us, guys. Yeah. And um, you know who else will forgive? Yeah. Professor Tim. Oh, yeah. Not showing up this week. Yeah. He didn't not show up. We just didn't ask him to show up. Yeah, we gave him a week off. Yeah, we're giving him a week off. More than a week off, I think, right? 
Yeah, we'll give him a few weeks off because um, he's just he's just read through our entire book and we feel guilty for taking advantage. Yes. Essentially. Yes. But on the upshot, we just got an email from him, didn't we? And we've never, like, we, listener, you don't know how the, I know you don't know the ins and outs of how our relationship with Tim Child goes down, but we don't email him directly ever. No, no. no. We speak to him, but we don't email him. Yeah. Anyway. And in, in pops a little uh, little fresh missive from Tim Child himself <laughs> saying he should have our book. Yeah, we did a little squee, didn't we? Yeah. I was like, oh, oh, it's Tim. <laughs> I like the fact that we're like celebrity fangirls of him. I know. Like we're his number one celebrity fangirls. <laughs> Everyone else can queue up behind us. It was hilarious. Um, yeah. yeah. That was like a nice moment this afternoon. Yeah, it was a nice little moment this afternoon. Um, yes, so no Tim this week, maybe not for the next few weeks, um, but then we'll get back, straight back on it. Um, so if you do want to, if you've got a question for him, by all means send it over and we'll um, we'll add it to the list. Indeed. Um, and if you've got any questions for Liz, you can send us an email to the address we're about to say. Um, mm. Just put Agony Aunt or BFN Agony Aunt in the subject line so we know who it's for. Yep. Um, yeah I think is that it I I mean I think that's it for the show yeah um so yeah if you guys um also want to order our book obviously you know we'd appreciate that yeah do order Um, the book I mean hopefully you won't need it no hopefully you won't need it but But do still order it it'll look good on your shelf it will it's very nice color it's very very tasteful very very tasteful Mm. quite millennial though don't know what gen z are gonna make of it it is a pink vibe, but in a cool and edgy way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not absolutely. in a soft, fluffy way. Yeah, we're not fluffy. God. Yeah, we're, we're like razors with so many edges. No, razors don't have that many edges, do they? Uh, it depends which razor you're buying. If it's a Gillette, oh, there's enough yeah. edges. We're like a Gillette Mac 3 times 10. On that note... <laughs> do get in touch and tell us how terrible our advance is yeah um, but don't leave it as a review yeah oh no don't do that but do leave nice reviews yes feel free to leave nice reviews though yeah but um, in all seriousness if you rate and review the podcast it will help other people to find it so that's always really great yeah and people do that yeah. um otherwise you can get in touch with us you can email us big fat negative podcast at gmail.com you can twitter us at big fat negative you can Instagram us. At Big Fat Negative. And that's it. And you can uh, join our newsletter. Oh, yeah, which, yes. Link of which is in our Instagram and on our yeah. website, which is bigfatnegative.com. Yeah, and there's all sorts of other stuff on our website as well, so check it out. As you well know. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys. All right, see you on the other side. Hey, how are you doing? hope you're doing well and uh, feeling safe and at the moment it's the sun is shining delightfully so I hope that is the same way you are although actually I must confess that I'm in the past and you are in the future so I hope that it remains as sunny as it is now because that always brightens my mood anyway on to this week's question so this week's question actually really hit home with me um, for a number of different reasons and this lady got in touch she's been trying to conceive um, for about four years now having come off the pill Um, and she hasn't gone uh, into IVF yet but has had a 
a bit of a rough time of it. Um, you know, lots of tests, having uh, all this sort of testing and things through the through the pandemic. And not only that, but she's also had quite a personal battle with um, eating disorders, which and, and sort of you know weight gain and and body image and and things like that, which as you know is is really close to my heart because I have definitely definitely suffered in that camp. Um, so she's reached out to us and uh, writes, our next step is now IVF, which I start in the next couple of weeks. I'm writing to you as I think I have PTSD from the past trauma of failed treatment. I'm struggling with how to go into IVF with a positive outlook. It's a totally different procedure with much better odds of success. However, all I can think about is how it probably won't work, like everything else we've already tried. I'm usually a very positive person and going into this incredibly stressful process, already believing it won't work is horrible. Help. Well, firstly, thank you so much for reaching out and I hope that any advice that I give is helpful. Um, And I'm really sorry that you're in such a dark place. I'm really sorry that you are experiencing such repercussions from failed treatment and I completely completely empathize because do you know I, I'll be completely honest with you I don't think I've dealt with my trauma yet I think I've actually just been plodding along so the fact that you are able to recognize it and acknowledge that actually failed treatment is trauma I think is absolutely huge because for a lot of us we shrug it off and move on because that's what happens because as you say IVF isn't a guarantee and losing an embryo or um not you know not getting a positive pregnancy test doesn't ever it feels traumatic to us but it doesn't feel like trauma to the rest of the world or at least we don't allow it to be acknowledged as trauma and actually it is um so first of all, you mentioned that you're going into IVF treatment in the next few weeks. Um, and you've also mentioned in your email that you have had previous treatment under the NHS. So my first question is, are you ready for treatment? Do you think that um, putting more pressure emotionally and physically on yourself based on every single thing that you've been through already is the right thing to do? That's not a question that I can answer for you. And you have to be honest with yourself. Now, I completely get the uh, sort of desire to push forward with IVF and push forward with treatment because we just want to get it done. We just want to be in the game. We just want to have the opportunity to have a baby. Um, And we've already waited so freaking long for it that actually waiting even longer just feels like a lifetime. So in that regard, I completely, completely empathise. but I do think it's so important for you to be in the right place mentally. And I don't mean in the positive, you know, in the positive pants camp, um, because I'm definitely not there. <laughs> I've never been there at all. Actually, I lie. I was there the first time round, but since then, my positive pants have remained firmly on the floor or in the wash basket, whatever. Anyway, um, so by that, I mean, you know, are you ready to take the rough with the smooth, the impact of the um drugs the medications and all of that in you know everything that that entails because people often refer to IVF and IVF cycle as a roller coaster and it absolutely is because you know the more I've done it the more I've learned there are zero guarantees at any point during treatment 
So you have to be uh, feel as though you're ready for that, and you are you are sufficiently able to acknowledge your trauma and uh, move into this stage um, without feeling as though it's going to exacerbate anything. So I know that you mentioned you've been for talking therapies previously, and I wonder whether or not it's worth. Um, asking the NHS whether or not they are able to provide you with a therapist to support you through your IVF cycle because that may be something that might make you feel a little bit more comfortable about progressing knowing that you've got that sort of support network there. Um, Now we've talked about the positive camp and uh, you mentioned that you really feel very sad about the fact that you can't go into your first round of IVF feeling positive. and part of me thinks that that's kind of not a bad thing because um you it sounds really awful to say but if you're not hopeful and i mean you if you're not hopeful then you can't be disappointed but we spoke with becky actually defining mum and she made the very good point of whatever happens you're going to be disappointed so feeling positive or negative is not going to impact on the outcome but it is going to impact on how you get yourself through it so I'm not by any stretch saying find your positive because actually if you want to go through it feeling the way that you're feeling because that is the way that you get through it that is totally fine there is no Um, right way to go into IVF because there are so many unknowns and given everything that you've experienced in the past it's not one it's no wonder that you feel this way so my first thing is it's totally totally normal to feel that way my second thing is actually sometimes you know I at the moment we're you know going to embark on our um, next round you know in the next couple of months and I feel hugely negative about it because, you know, I've been there before and I'm fully, as I said, in the negative camp, I my positive pants are gone. Um, now, that's not to say that as soon as we start treatment, as soon as I start taking medications, as soon as we start on that road, that my hope doesn't return because it invariably will. Because the reason that we're doing this in the first place is because we have got a smidgen of hope and positivity that it will work. Um, So feeling uh, negative and sad about it now doesn't necessarily mean that you will continue the cycle in that way. You'll probably feel a lot of different things. um, And you have to just let yourself feel it. Because I think if you force yourself to feel one way or the other, sometimes that makes it worse. Um... Unfortunately, I don't have any pearls of wisdom as to how to make yourself feel more positive. And I'm certainly not going to suggest that you force yourself to feel more positive or stick on a happy face. Because sometimes it's really shit. And actually acknowledging it's really shit and sitting in the sadness for a little while is where you need to be. Um, And sometimes getting through it, like I am, I'm just literally sticking one foot in front of the other through the mud and I'm pretty sure I'm going to have some sort of like not breakdown but I'm going to kind of have some sort of realization of the enormity of where we've been um at the end of wherever wherever we get to um 
because I haven't been brave enough like you to acknowledge that actually what we've had and what we've been through has been exceptionally traumatic. Um, so I actually think acknowledging it in the first instance is, is really, as I said, really brave. Um, I feel as though this hasn't been much of an advice, more of a, I get it, you're not alone. And I kind of hope that that helps. So even though I haven't given you necessarily any tips and tricks to make yourself feel more positive, because I don't necessarily think that um, it'll help, uh, because it's not that it'll help, sorry, I don't mean that, because I know that there are individuals who, you know, really benefit from positive mental attitude and it really helps them to get through. So I don't mean to dismiss that at all. Um, But what I mean is, occasionally your um thoughts and feelings how you feel negativity positivity it doesn't necessarily it won't impact the outcome it won't so if you feel that that's what you need to do to get through that's totally allowed um so like i said i hope even though it's maybe not advice it's acknowledgement that you're not on your own and going through it feeling like you're feeling is completely understandable and actually you might find that your feelings change as you go through treatment and that's totally fine as well um you know especially if slash when you get to a point where you have an embryo several embryos if you know if if you're fortunate um you can't help but have a little shred and sliver of hope that one of those is going to be your take-home baby. Um, so it'll be there. It's just really, really deep down. Um, and I just hope that you are kind to yourself and listen to what you need and don't judge yourself and look after yourself and take great, great care. Until next time, everyone. Bye. Elle. Welcome to BFN. Thank you for having me. And it's so, it, honestly, it's such a privilege to to be here because I have been an avid listener and uh, and a long time fangirl of yours for a while. And uh, I've I have um, yeah written written about the the podcast in the back of the book as a reference for people to use as support. So um, God, how did I not see that? I did. Thank you so much. You're very no, very kind. It's no, honestly, there were times when I was kind of on this. I hate the word journey as most of us do, but you know, and, and your friends c- kind of want to get it and they can't get it. And just listening yeah. to you two be so, you know, open and candid in the conversations that you were having just has, has really, really helped me. So I just want to say thank you. Oh, oh, oh. I, look, I'm not a huge fan of kind of comparing experiences, but I do feel like what you've been through and what we've been through is slightly like different. They it's different. It's different. different. <laughs> I think I also glad think that we could offer you support in from our place of less gravity. Is that the right phrase? I just think that there are so many crossovers in emotions, like yeah. regardless of what the actual direct experience is. And I found that, you know, going through IVF after having conceived Teddy naturally and and the emotions of grief that I had after he died I felt that the IVF process was there were so many crossovers in the grief that I felt so Mm -hmm. you know I don't think that to lessen kind of one experience against another is because I found that 
IVF was the one of the hardest things I I ever walked through, and yeah. and, and that's saying something when you that, you know, is, that is definitely saying something. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, well, we should probably um, start somewhere in the beginning. Al. Yeah. Okay. So, Emma, should you do it or should I? I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> there's this pause these days we're like who's gonna ask the question the question is Elle tell us about your journey okay so the journey was uh 2014 not long after my husband and I were married we uh bought a house and we decided that that was the the perfect time to embark on you know trying for a family mm-hmm. and we were incredibly lucky that we fell pregnant within the first year so it was about 10 months um Mm -hmm. before I found out we were expecting our first baby um and 10 months even at that time I remember in that time a lot of friends had started trying at the same time and they all just seemed to like sneeze and get pregnant and I was like what the what's going on here and then (laughs) and I knew that I'd always had sort of polycystic ovaries on and off and you know I'd had periods that had kind of done a runner in my 20s at times and I and I just thought okay this might maybe this is going to take me a bit longer and I was chuffed after 10 months to be honest because that Mm. was kind of the upper limit of what I was sort of expecting and able to wait at the time and I had a I was really fortunate I had a really healthy happy um blissfully happy pregnancy um Mm. and then when Teddy was born in May 2016 so it's coming up for five years next month um he fell sort of really unwell in the hours after he was born so during the night and he stopped breathing and um he was subsequently transferred to a neonatal unit at a neighboring hospital um where he was cared for for three days before um he died so they removed his life support um three days later Um, and it wasn't really a wasn't really a decision as it you know it wasn't like oh shall we do this can we do this it was you know he's he's being kept alive entirely by machines um and he's not improving he's deteriorating and we don't know what's wrong with him and we don't have a cure because we don't know what's wrong with him um and so that really is where the kind of story of where I find myself now right. began. Mm. Yeah, because you, you suddenly your path of motherhood. Yeah, it's something changed. different. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, it changed into something un, sort of unrecognisable to what I had expected uh, over that yeah. spring and summer. And I felt just really lonely and sort of, all my friends around me were experiencing what I had hoped to be experiencing mm-hmm. during that time. Mm-hmm. And I was on maternity leave, which was even weirder. Um, yeah. But then I couldn't really go back to work because I was a wreck. Um, <laughs> and so I started connecting with a few other women online who, you know, had also experienced losing their children in in, in a similar time frame to me. And we uh-huh. became good friends Um and that was really kind of towards the end of that year, 2016 and into 2017, when I decided I would start writing my own blog about my experiences because mm-hmm. I'd used our home to really save me on that road of kind of going insane um, mm. and just, you know, needing a distraction. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that was what the blog was born out of. 
that was going to be one of my questions actually which obviously your instagram is called feathering the empty nest as the blog is um, yeah what what did that phrase mean to you so to me it was about using I guess our home to save me in a time when I just felt like I needed to do something creative something to sort of busy my busy my arms that should have been full and and sort of calm my fractious mind on the days when I you know that grief kind of really really took over and our house you know we'd bought it as a, a project the kind of two years previously and I decided that I would use that last part of my maternity leave to to do that and to write about it and write about it in relation to how I was using it to save myself um in that strange narrative of motherhood that I'd landed in I mean it's inconceivably awful for that to have happened to you yeah and I think it's it's one of those things that unless you've had direct experience with it, of you know, as a, a friend, it's happened to a friend or a family member, I don't think you realise how it isn't that uncommon. Um, yeah. Because what I found after Teddy died is the amount of people who, you know, I'd known for years who suddenly said to me, oh, yeah, well, I actually, um, I had an older sibling who was stillborn in between, you know, my mum. And they'd never mentioned that you know it was never it never come up in conversation I and suddenly all of these people who I sort of knew really well started coming up with stories of oh yeah that happened to my friend and then this happened and and that was when I started to think well you know there was me googling frantically at 2 a.m why did my baby die and am I the only person this has ever happened to and yet there are all these women seemingly who have experienced this and I couldn't really find anyone or many people who were writing about it mm-hmm. in the way that I was feeling it. And I'm mm-hmm. assuming it's probably the same thing that motivated you girls to start this mm-hmm. podcast. You know, you, you just think, oh, fucking hell, like, come on. Like, yeah. somebody's got to be just being really open with their feelings and saying how it's making them feel. And, and that was really why I started writing. It's completely bizarre, isn't it? Like what? Why? Like why? There's so much written about grief. Yeah, there's reams of stuff written about grief, but you don't yeah. hear much about this stuff. No, and I think it's because you know the reason that I've always sort of come back to when I think about that is is because it's the unthinkable. Like losing mm. a child just defies the natural order of everything, doesn't it? Yeah. It just yeah. defies the natural order, and I think particularly as women and as mothers it's our ultimate fear it's our ultimate fear come to life and so you know we do tend to back away from it and not want to talk too much about it or think too much about it um and one of the things you know I've had to kind of say to people through the years of writing and talking about it is like please don't be afraid of me it's not catching you know please don't be afraid that that I'm talking about it out loud because it's not going to happen to you just because it happened to me you know um all it's going to do is it means that if if it does happen to somebody you know, the lady you sit next to at work or you, the lady across the road or your friend or your friend of a friend, if you if you listen to what I've got to say now of how it's made me feel, you might be a little bit better equipped to to be able to support them if that happens. That's that's all I want to do is just create, sort of pave the way that it means other people will feel less alone um, yeah. because as a society, we'll all be better at dealing with it and talking about it. And Absolutely. I think 
to some degree, everybody listening to this will have experienced that kind of reaction. I mean, obviously not with the, probably the intensity that you experienced it, but you know, people saying, oh, just relax. It'll be fine. Just relax. <laughs> it's like dismissing. Yeah. Dismissing. It is. And I think it then it makes you, you know, particularly I think with loss, you, you, you get asked, oh, do you have any children? And I'd say, um, uh, sort of stumble mm. across my words. And I, then I would find myself, you know, trying to explain to them what had happened. Um, and then it's when somebody turns around and completely changes the subject after you've just said that to them and, yeah. you know, says, oh, I'm so sorry. And then through their own awkwardness, they change the subject. And then you think, oh, yeah. God, I really wish I hadn't given you that piece of me today because yeah. actually now I'm stood here feeling guilty because I've ruined your day because I told you something you really didn't want to hear. And, yeah, it's quite complex. And I think, like you've just said, when people do say things to jolly you along or change the subject, then it it sort of invalidates those feelings and yeah, and they're perfectly valid feelings whether it's it's grief or whether you know you're going through a complicated journey it's perfectly valid and other people making you feel like it's not is just mm-hmm. not something else you need to be dealing with I guess um the more you write about it and the more you get used to talking about it you start to kind of have those moments where you know what your response is and you mm. know how that response is going to make you feel. Yeah. And, you know, you, you get, you kind of get your confidence, I suppose. So you don't end up in those positions where you're like, fuck, I've made that person feel awkward because that's never what something that should happen. You know, you no. should never feel bad for making someone else. Yeah. Or if awkward. the person feels awkward, you're like me, fuck you. Yeah. Get, get over it. Mate. I think, I think my, my attitude probably has got more like that in recent years. Um, <laughs> the, but, but I think first of all, I can remember, you know, I would tell people about Teddy and then they'd say, Oh God, I'm so sorry. And, and then I'd be sort of teary or crying. And then I'd be sort of there apologizing for crying. I mean, what a ridiculously mm. British thing to do, <laughs> uh, apologizing for crying about the death of my son when they've just asked about it. And, and, and I used to come away from those conversations, just feeling completely wrung out and thinking, mm. Oh, Christ is this what it's going to be like is Mm. this what it's going to be like forever um and of course you know it's not like that forever there are days when sometimes it's more difficult to articulate but then Mm -hmm. there are days where I can talk really openly and freely and I don't cry um and it's not because I'm not sad and I don't carry that sadness around with me you just get better at talking about it and better at, at carrying it yeah what I mean just out of interest what were the good reactions what kind of you know what were the good responses that you came away thinking they responded really well well actually so you know some of the best responses in those early months were were what inspired me to write ask me his name because it that was exactly it is I I had a a couple of you know completely random encounters with people and one of the first things they would say after I'm so sorry is what happened and what was his name and I was just like oh, okay, so you're not going to treat me like a complete pariah. You do want to talk about this. And and it was really lovely. And I came away from those conversations feeling, not feeling guilty or awkward, but feeling a lot freer and a lot more normal, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And so that was kind of what made me think, right, that, that that's how we continue the conversation. That's how we normalize this is, is you know, don't shy away from it. So, you wrote Ask Me His Name after that, um, but now you've got a second book out. I have, yes. Which is called A Bump in the Road. And what's that about? So A Bump in the Road is kind of, 
I mean, I never intended to write one book, um, let alone another one. This was not planned. Um, this has really snowballed, uh, to be honest. And I, I said after Ask Me His Name that I wouldn't write another book because I didn't have anything else to say on the matter. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. I, it, that book encompassed all of my thoughts and feelings around loss and losing Teddy and what it felt like to be a bereaved parent and although that might change or evolve in the years to come that was what I needed to write at the time to express to to people what it feels like to lose a child um what I didn't anticipate was actually that that wasn't going to be the end of the of the shite that the universe was choosing to throw at me um and so what I had hoped would you know, be a fairly uncomplicated and swift journey into having another baby for us um, became something a lot more complicated, um, which um, unfortunately... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss involved secondary infertility which was unexplained um and yeah then we went down the road of of drugs and uh hormone therapy and all those things all the good stuff all the good stuff before we reached (laughs) the point of IVF um so yeah it's really about what that looked like over those sort of four years um between Teddy dying and um the arrival of our daughter last last summer but congratulations by yes. the way thank you it's wonderful news yeah thank you um so so what happened then so you you said you, you didn't go straight to IVF what was your fertility treatment journey like so we um I actually did full pregnant about four and a half months after Teddy died um and, you know, obviously we were over the moon because we didn't really anticipate that it, that would happen so quickly. Um, and everything looked really good in early pregnancy. But at the beginning of 2017, we were given a diagnosis, um, which unfortunately meant that 
um, we had a termination for medical reasons with that baby um, at f- just shy of 15 weeks. And to be honest, it was earth shattering. It really, really was. And I think to experience that amount of of grief and sort of unexplained grief, nobody could tell me why this stuff kept happening to us. Um, there was no genetic reason why we would, you know, be going through that. Um do you think and there that, was a reason? Like, do you think there was a reason that just wasn't diagnosed? I don't think so because the two, what Teddy had was a metabolic condition and what the other baby had was something completely different. And yeah. there was no connection. They couldn't, you know, we had all of our um, our genetic screen through South Thames uh, gen- genetics team because mainly because they, for, for scientific reasons, they wanted to, to screen us to help with their research as to why Teddy had the condition he had so you know we weren't getting preferential treatment or anything it was really to help them with their with their research into why babies die neonatally um so we knew there was nothing wrong it was like and then you know everyone uses that age-old oh when lightning never strikes twice um and then it did and you're like well fuck's sake it it can stop saying that how's that supposed to make you feel like am I like should I feel blessed yeah I'm just perpetually unlucky then thanks um and so then after that what sort of transpired at the beginning of 2017 and in the first half of that year is my periods didn't come back um at all and of course, after the first sort of month, six weeks, I thought, well, I must be pregnant again. Mm. Um, no. And then I had another operation because there was sort of retained, they call it retained products of pregnancy, which I also do. sounds so inhuman, doesn't yeah, it? Um, stop doing that. Yeah. And I had a, another operation and then, you know, this went on and on. And as we kind of came towards the end of 2017, that was really when my... Um, consultant said from the sort of end of that summer beginning of autumn we really need to start thinking about some sort of hormone therapy treatment to try and get things going because your body's just it's not doing it um so we did that for six months and I think the second half of that six months we had some metformin thrown in um for fun. maybe for th- yeah maybe for three or four months um an extra party there which did absolutely bugger all other than just make me shed a load of weight and look horrendously ill and just yeah that was that was about it really um and then the, the then the the hormones got dropped the metformin dosage came down and we threw some clomid into the mix oh God, um that was a uh, yeah that was Very not bad. a nice drug to be on i i really didn't enjoy that one no. um really messes with the mood it it's, it's a mood killer isn't it um <laughs> literally, yeah literally um and and so we did that for six months um which took us to kind of the end of the summer before we were uh went through our IVF um sort of application process as it were mm-hmm. um before we started our first round at the end of that year um that round was a bit of a non-starter, a bit of a non-event. I was like the lowest responder going, which they couldn't understand because my AMH was really high and they just couldn't really get their heads around what was going on. So I just grew one massive fuck-off follicle, um, which came to nothing. Just turned into a follicular cyst, actually, which was... Oh, that's <laughs> fun. Yeah, I know. Um, and, and so we didn't make it to... Um, like 
egg retrieval or anything like that. And it was kind of, you know, it's just before another Christmas. And I just remember thinking, this is taking the piss now. Like, why do we always get bad news over December? It's never... (sighs) Um, a, lot, a lot of people have that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas was cancelled so many years. I was just like, I'm getting, I just might as well strike it out of the calendar because we're getting so annoyed by this point. Um, and so, yeah, that was the first one. And then we started again, beginning of 2019. And we did uh, another full round, but we decided, they decided to change the protocol to a, a long protocol and do bucerolin. Um mm-hmm. Well, if I thought Clomid turned me into a crazy woman, then I was in for a... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, again, it's, it's just a dream. Um, no, and so that, so we did that one. Um, it's kind of like, um, you feel like you should have a bingo card, don't you, when you go through yeah. all of this, like stamping your way through all the drugs that they've pumped you with. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I've got a lot on there yeah and so yeah we did we did that and actually that that round of IVF although we didn't end up with a great number of embryos we had three day five embryos one was put back in one was no good for freezing and the other one was frozen um that round actually resulted in a positive pregnancy test um but very swiftly that joy turned into confusion and all sorts of other emotions when you know I started bleeding and they thought it was ectopic so I had ectopic surgery the following week and then I woke up from that and they said oh no we've left everything in because you know it wasn't ectopic um and then it was you know go away wait for another week um we'll scan you again then it was yeah and it kind of went from there to being a missed miscarriage to not a missed miscarriage to you know yeah eventually it it transpired it was a missed miscarriage of of twins um I thought I thought one thing that was really interesting from that incident in the book was how you so you went for surgery yeah ectopic surgery they said it's not it's not an ectopic it's fine and you you have bleeding right yeah Um, then you went the hospital scanned you yeah. And they said, oh, it's a missed miscarriage. And you were like, what, five and a half weeks at this point, right? Yeah. So they scanned you, uh, so said it is a missed miscarriage. Yeah. And they were just like, right, well, because of your history of, as you said, retained products. Yeah. Um, we're going to book you in for surgery. So, yeah. And you said, mm, no, no. And I thought that was really interesting because I don't know many people that would have the gumption to do that. What what made you make that decision to just say no I need a I need a break I need to take a pause I need to talk to my husband and come back and then we'll talk about it I think it was the fact that we had been through so much Mm -hmm. to get to this point again of having a positive pregnancy test you know we were a couple of months away from Teddy's third birthday and I'd just been through you know a year of every drug it felt like under mm. the sun and you know you know what it's like we do a long protocol it's it's not a few weeks out of your life we were two and a half months into this this process and to just be told okay well we'll book you in tomorrow and we'll you know that will be over with I just wasn't going to give up that easily I'm the, the the most stubborn person at the best of times and I just thought 
something doesn't feel right. It didn't feel right. And you know, when you just get that feeling in your gut, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go along with this today. And I, Mm. I just said to them, if you don't mind, I'm not going to sign that paperwork and I'm actually leaving. And they were like, ah, ah." and you know, they, (laughs) what do you say to that, to that woman? Um, And I was, I guess I kind of in my head thought, well, you know, if it is a, if it is a miscarriage and I'm already bleeding a bit, maybe if, if that's what it is, it will intensify over the next 24 hours you know I felt fine in myself I didn't feel unwell Mm -hmm. um and I just wanted to call I guess it was just a case of kind of advocating for myself and thinking right I need to call the IVF clinic I need to get a second opinion and I want them to have a look you know they were the one that put this baby in there let's see what they think that was kind of my thinking and I think IVF clinics I mean I may be generalizing grossly from two episodes I know of but tend to be a little bit more cautious when when thinking about miscarriages Um, yeah yeah I think you're right I don't think that's generalizing and I think it's because they have seen it all right they've Mm -hmm. seen people fall pregnant or or key pregnancy in the most unlikely experiences um, which have involved you know heavy bleeding and all kinds of things and yet still that baby manages to somehow hang in there Mm. um and so I think they are a little bit more cautious with how they treat you and the time they give you and, you know, what they're looking for within that time frame of an early scan. It's interesting because, you know, we get a lot of we get a lot of emails from people who are kind of questioning like, oh, my doctor said that I'm having a miscarriage, but I don't think I am. Or we get a lot of people saying like, you know, I tried really hard um, to believe that I wasn't having it. Like I just I pretended it wasn't happening. I thought I think we spoke mm-hmm. to Samantha Bush, who was like, yeah. I told myself this one's a fighter. Um, so there's a kind of fine line between denying reality and just having a, having a moment and just going, right, we're just going to double check this. Yeah. I think it's quite an interesting kind of dynamic. I think you'd also seemingly been pushed to the absolute limit. Like I I can't, you know, while you're talking, I've read it, I've read the book as well and I still can't get over how much shit was thrown at you during this time. Yeah. It seems obscene. And I think um, I think that was it, to be honest. I think I was just like, right, I have already, you know, faced what we faced over the last three years. And at this point, I, I was, you know how it gets when you're going through that and you just think you're willing to try anything, aren't you? You're just clutching at straws. And, and I just thought if there's any chance, any chance that that this is going to be okay I just want to find out I just want to explore that option and I just want the IVF clinic almost to just I think what I was expecting that day was I was expecting to go to the IVF clinic later that day and for the lady who normally did my follicle scans to do the scan and say yeah they're right it's a miss miscarriage that's what I was expecting but I just wanted to hear it from her um and when she didn't say that and when she said, no, in my opinion, I would leave it. I don't think we can see enough. That's when, you know, I thought, well, thank God. Thank God I did the right thing. I did, yeah. uh, you know, it's torturous having that extra element of waiting around. But no, that was the right thing to do in that moment. Yeah, we. I mean, we always kind of tell people we should be advocating for ourselves like that. And I think that's a great example of that. Yeah. Of just saying, right, this is what I want. Yeah, because it's easy to get it's easy to get swept along, isn't it? With yeah, really easy. you know, infertility treatment, and you know, when you're having a baby, when you're giving birth, it, it's easier to just think, okay, well, 
that's what everyone else is telling me I should do or should should have and 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 not saying okay well this is how it's making me feel this is kind of can we all just stop a minute because I this is what I think and when it's going on in your own body I think you're perfectly within your rights to to ask the question sometimes it's hard to know though sometimes you're so numb yeah know how you feel yeah that's hard definitely so what happened next that week went on, we went for a return scan back at the IVF clinic, not at the hospital, where she confirmed that it was a mis- miscarriage. So mm-hmm. just that extra bit of time waiting had confirmed it. A few days later, I went back to my consultant for surgery again. Um, everything was fine that morning, got taken in, got put under, um, woke up to my consultant sort of standing over me with the the most panicked look I've ever seen on anyone's face and I was like what is going on am I dreaming is this a parallel universe uh-huh. I was you know the, the bit where you come around and you're like what yeah. what yeah, Who? Yeah, yeah. um and and she was holding her phone up at me and I was like, this is so weird what? because she don't she didn't have they couldn't take a sonographer's picture so she'd taken a picture of the sonography screen on her phone of the inside of my uterus with not one but sacks in there and I was like what am I what am I looking at what are these two blobs um and her words were really simple she said Elle I couldn't I couldn't carry on with the the procedure we were doing it under the guidance of of um ultrasound because of your history we wanted to make sure that we got everything mm-hmm. um and when we started to scan there were two pregnancy sacks not one so I cannot I cannot go ahead with a surgical procedure uh, of managing this as a mis- miscarriage because you might be pregnant with twins. And I, I'll i be honest, at that point, I didn't know which way was up. I did not oh, know. Yeah. So confusing. It was beyond confusing. Like, what do you do? Where does your brain go from there? It was, I remember just lying there in recovery thinking and just sort of whispering, what the fuck? I was just like having some sort of existential crisis. I was like, what is going on? Um, That's an absolutely normal reaction. Yeah. 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 Um, And then they wheeled me back in and I just remember looking at my husband's face and it was kind of like a weird game where we were sort of staring at each other, waiting for who the first person Mm -hmm. to talk was going to be because we both knew what we knew. Um, And Anyway, that, so that transpired into another week of waiting. Um, and at the end of that week, when I went back for a scan with my consultant, the one who'd performed the the previous operations, um, she confirmed that it was a mis- miscarriage, but it was a mis- miscarriage of twins. So even mm. though I had only had one embryo put back in, um, mm. it had split and turned into, yeah, mono-identical twins would have been. Um, and that was really it was really crushing after that period of time of you know hanging on to that hope over that by this point we were a month on from a from a positive pregnancy test mm-hmm. um yeah. and that entire month had just been in and out of hospital in and out of you know another three anesthetics by the end um and and just so much confusion so at this point you've had three three losses yeah if we include teddy yeah what we at what point were you thinking i can't actually keep trying did that ever occur to you were you just fully determined the whole time i think it came in waves you know and i think probably most people who've been through any kind of 
fertility treatment and loss thrown into the mix if they were really being true to themselves would say that there are moments where you just think no fuck this I can't I literally can't put myself through this again it's too Mm. it's too hard and although you ache for it so much and it's what you want so much there comes a point doesn't there when you know you just think what what I don't understand what is is this some sort of sign that I shouldn't be doing this because it just seems to end so badly every time Mm. Um, and I think it was after that experience, you know, a couple of months later, was six weeks later, we went to Cornwall over Teddy's birthday and, and it would have been his third birthday. And I, I remember just sobbing all day on his birthday, like on the kitchen floor of the house and just crying my heart out because I just, I've, I think that that was probably the first time in that sort of journey of trying again, that I just felt so hopeless. I felt Mm. like it was three years down the line we should have had another baby there and we didn't and I I was trying everything I felt like I had tried everything to get us there and it and that was where we were at having just lost another two and it just yeah I think I did give up on hope and I did start to think is this the right thing to do and that was when you know we took a break from sort of May to August um I just well we'd we'd had a break from the end of March really just to recover from it all and then mm. and started again in August with the next round. <laughs> it was like straight in the wild. Yeah. So and that one went a lot better because I'd had some surgery over the course of the summer. I'd gone back for another sort of routine hysteroscopy um on the recommendation of my consultant and they found something hanging around in there some scar tissue that apparently had been out of sight and somewhere Mm -hmm. that they hadn't seen it before and I had some surgery in the July and then so when we started uh IVF again at the end of the following month by the time I went to egg retrieval in September end of September my ovaries had gone berserk like they'd gone from being the lowest responders to having like 40 something follicles um yeah that must have been uncomfortable that was not a comfy time um (laughs) that was yeah you know I couldn't yeah I couldn't draw breath once I'd had egg collection I was really unwell um Mm. and of course as soon as they yeah they they came back into the room after uh retrieval and said yeah you uh you will not be going to transfer we've we've retrieved 28 eggs and I was just like I think my first word was fuck I hate that feeling that feeling of just like oh I need it now why can't and it makes you feel quite spoiled in a way but like a kind of spoiled child screaming but also like every extra month feels like an eternity yeah because you, you know you've just you've put yourself through all of that not just the physical injections all of the the maybe being secretive to friends about where you are and what you're doing of Mm. of running through that into the house at a certain time to jab another injection in your stomach like freaking out when you think you've forgotten not sleeping properly because you're sweating from the hormones like all Mm. of the other things and then and then somebody says oh no we can't actually do that now we're just going to put them all in the freezer and I was just Mm. like "Ah." you've had that date in your head you're like well it's all going towards my transfer day which is gonna be next week yeah. yeah 
it's hard a few days into OHSS I was like actually thank god I'm not having a transfer I feel horrendous like Mm -hmm. to the point of I can get out of bed and the last thing I wanted was anyone else meddling with me um no yeah uh, yeah so then you, you know you start your sensible part of your brain starts to take over doesn't it and you think actually that's probably for the best um mm. given how I feel right now and that took us into October at the end of 2019 I then when I went for my sort of finish finishing up scan after my period had had arrived and it felt like I'd been popped like a balloon because suddenly <laughs> you, you go from being really like barrel-like and distended to suddenly a normal human again mm-hmm. um yeah it was incredible I remember the nurse saying to me oh it'll be almost in- instantaneous as soon as your period comes and I was thinking honestly no isn't that's not never gonna happen and I'd already been back on bucerolin injections as if I hadn't had enough of those because yeah. apparently bucerolin helps with it um okay. so I was on bucerolin and cabergolin tablets which just make you feel sick um and it, and yeah it was actually just your period showing up that made you feel like a million times better um but I just felt so flat when I went back in for that appointment and I just remember sobbing on the poor nurse of like I just I I need something to work towards I feel like Mm. I need to do this now um Mm. and they agreed to in theory let us try a natural frozen cycle where they would just monitor me yeah defrost pop it back in at the right time and go from there. But that kind of was over before it really got off the ground because my body was so confused at this mm. point as to what had I happened. Mean, rightly so. Yeah. So yeah, we that kind of didn't really go anywhere. And I remember sitting with another nurse that day when when they kind of put the tin hat on that one and she said to me, You you're not ovulating. You're not ovulating. And that's why you're having IVF. So, you know, we we can't do a natural round on you if, mm-hmm. if you're if you're showing no indication that you would have ovulated naturally and I was like yeah fair enough okay um so at the beginning of the November I saw our IVF consultant and he said you know we can get back on the merry-go-round if you're ready to um we'll have to do bucerolin again and we're gonna have to do a frozen round that way because you know your cycles are still really unpredictable and you know you're not ovulating just call us when your period comes um and at the beginning of December I was waiting and I was waiting I was waiting and I waited a few more days and I thought for god's sakes now they've just completely disappeared again after the one that I'd had at the end of IVF and um and so I rummaged around in the back of a cupboard and found a pregnancy test that turned out to be positive and turned out to be our daughter. <laughs> so after after all of that, I I turned into one of those um, mythical legends that we hear about in IVF communities of people who just stopped trying and gave up all hope and fell pregnant. Yeah, I I like I I don't know. At the beginning of when we started doing the podcast, I was like, oh, those people are bastards. But now I think. <laughs> God. I'm so glad that happened to you. And so many yeah. people say to me, what did you do differently that month? And I'm like, uh, so I just gave up on hope. <laughs> like, I just, just gave up on life. And, so it's um, called yeah. Rock Bottom. And I was there and <laughs> somehow. <laughs> Honestly, I have absolutely no idea. And I think I, I, think I was so set on on the fact that I just needed to get through November and December so that we could start Bucerolin again. It would have been probably around Christmas time. Um, 
that I genuinely wasn't, it wasn't even on my radar. And what was pregnancy like after all that? I mean, I, I can't imagine the levels of anxiety you were going through every single day. I mean, yeah. I think pregnancy after a complex journey to get there is tough for anyone, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think all mm. of us can agree that it isn't, it, it isn't the fun, um, you know, excited time that you had dreamed yeah. it might be or yeah. expected it might be because, you know, you, you know how much you fought and tried to get there and you, you know, what's at stake. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it, and it feels that much more precious and in a way weirdly I think that much more unobtainable because it didn't come easily to get there so it still feels even though you're there you're not across the line and you don't want to take it for granted did you have the imposter syndrome totally and I also had really bad survivor's guilt because I knew that there were so many other friends who'd become really good friends over that period of time who who were well I was around sort of 20 weeks when we went into lockdown 20 over over 20 weeks I think I and and I hadn't really told that many people and and in that time in that sort of late February early March all all my friends going through IVF were having their were having their transfers cancelled and I was thinking fuck fuck how do I tell how do I tell them um so yeah anxiety I think particularly after a full-term loss, like neonatal death, um, there isn't ever a time in that pregnancy that your anxiety starts to dissipate at all because you're you're almost ramping up to the worst bit happening at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's oh, it. I mean, when I was pregnant, there were there were like I think I started off super anxious and then it ebbed. Yeah, the pregnancy went on and then by the end I was able to convince myself that it was going to be fine yeah whereas I feel like with you you probably had another peak towards the end right definitely those last few weeks certainly the last month were it was really hellish actually and I think we'd gone through lockdown sort of March April May and we were kind of coming out into the world in June you know we were allowed to see people in the garden and whatnot weren't we Mm mm-hmm um and then July was when you know people really started coming out into the world and filling the beaches around the UK and there was me still sitting in my house rocking backwards and forwards because I just felt so terrified Mm. to have anybody say to me oh is it your first baby like everyone does when they're making lovely chit chat with you when you're pregnant and I Mm -hmm. I I couldn't I didn't Mm. yeah Um, god so other than, you know, when my husband wasn't working at the weekends and we'd maybe do a super early morning trip to the beach, like before anyone else in the world was up, but purely because, you know, I just couldn't face, I couldn't face it. We d- I didn't do anything else. Monday to Friday, I literally just did the same thing that I'd done in lockdown. Just got up, walked the dog super early and then spent the rest of the time pottering around in the garden and, you know, doing a few work emails and, and that was it really. I mean, <clears throat> was there anything that if there's someone listening that's that's experiencing pregnancy after loss now, was there anything in particular that you found helpful if you were going to give like one piece of advice? I think obviously it's different for everyone and I can't speak 
for everyone. But one thing Mm. that I found useful to tell myself, you know, advice I would give myself when I was going through that was not to try and do that typical thing in pregnancy where we're thinking trimester to trimester or week to week or, you know, I'm, you know, an app in my phone telling me I'm this many weeks and the baby's big as a I don't know, has avocado or whatever it is. <laughs> I they do some wacky ones now, don't they? they tell you it's as <laughs> big as something completely random. Um, there were most days, particularly towards, particularly at the beginning and particularly towards the end, where I just had to make it through one day at a time. And that mm-hmm. sounds really cliche, but it really was a case of if if I can wake up tomorrow morning and baby's still moving and I still feel okay, then we've done another day. Yeah. And sometimes that was just like, even if you were having a hard day, I'd think, right, if I can make it through the next couple of hours, I'll just read a few chapters of my of a book in the garden and I'll mm. just, you know, it was just really simple, you know, take it the yeah. tiniest bits at a time as you can um, and make sure that you talk to those who are caring for you and by that I mean the medical profession professionals who are caring for you I had consultant-led care with my consultant who who had been excellent mm-hmm. um, all the way through so she was she was looking after us but I also had a brilliant caseloading midwife meaning I didn't have to see lots of different midwives That's great. Um, and also they jointly they referred me to the mental health uh, yeah. midwife team as well which meant I every couple of weeks I had a phone call because of COVID um, that they would go through anything that I was thoughts feelings anything that was worrying me um particularly towards the end surrounding birth and going back into the delivery suite and all of those things Uh and that really helps so I think just don't be afraid to again it sounds really cliche but ask for support and if you if you need to not to have to explain your story to more than one midwife then then say that I need one person Mm. looking after Mm me that's I mean that's that's really good advice the old today I am pregnant as well is is really good. Yeah, like, and that right you now need, I'm pregnant, and that's enough for now. And that's enough because otherwise, you know, you get that people when you do see people say say mel well meaning things like oh you know don't try not to worry because you don't want to stress the baby out. Oh, oh brilliant! <sighs> Thanks for adding that one into the mix. Yeah, uh, you know, as if I don't feel guilty enough that I'm not enjoying every moment of this pregnancy like I did yeah. with my last. And and now I should feel guilty that I'm maybe damaging my baby along the way. And you're like, oh, oh Christ, God. like what? Yeah. So uh, people just say things because they want to fill the the, the void. Yeah, yeah, they want to fill the void of emptiness with with noise, and they want to say something helpful. But I think sometimes, like you were saying earlier, it just goes to invalidate feelings. Mm. I think. Well, Elle, thank you so much for coming on. It's been, I've yeah. got a really long list of questions that we haven't asked you yet. Oh, sorry, <laughs> my answers are so like, no, it's been great. It's, it's just, if, it's really like, it's a real privilege that you've come and shared your story with us. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Just an amazing one.
Thank and you so, so glad that, that it's all worked out. Yeah. Thank you. Can yeah. you very quickly tell us about the book and where we can get it and when we can get it and that kind of thing? It's already yes. out, isn't it? No, so the book is out this Thursday, 29th of April, A Bump in the Road. Okay. Um, it can be found at all good bookshops. Um, it's Waterstones, Amazon. I think Waterstones still potentially have some signed copies hanging around as oh, well. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a bit strange this time doing a, a book launch without any physical face-to-face yeah. Yeah, -face stuff going on so we're yeah. going to try and make the best of it and I'm yeah I'm really looking forward to it kind of being out in the world and hopefully sort of being that hand you know to hold other people's when they're going along that road and sort of feeling like they are the only person yeah I have no doubt that's going to help lots of people yeah absolutely thank you so much Elle. well that's it guys it's Over. it it's a, that's the podcast wrapped up in a little neat taco there for you to nibble on yeah. <laughs> metaphors are <laughs> getting <laughs> increasingly great yeah. creative creative yeah. um, I hope you enjoyed the episode yeah so do I um, who are we talking to next week Gabs? we're talking to Marissa Nelson oh. who is talking to us about keeping the love alive during TTC <laughs> um, she's awesome we had such a good chat with her didn't we yeah her company's called Intimacy IVF yeah and she's all about helping us to get that spark back and this interview actually really really helped me did it yeah way yeah oh, we can talk about that next week pal <laughs> Mr. Gary's having a good time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> loads of love, and we hope you all have a great week. And, yep. yeah, we'll see you next week for some love. Some love. Late Night. There used to be a radio show on um, GWR FM when I was a teenager called Late Night Love with Graham Torrington. Ooh. And he used to talk like this. Hey. I'm quite upset that my mic is broken for this. Is the moment to be talking about love. love. Hey. Okay, I'm going to channel my Graham Torrington. Good stuff. See you later. Bye, guys. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.